what a beautiful time of worship. And I hope you know that that name really is powerful, isn't it? Because we're going to talk about Christmas, and we're going to talk about Jesus being born of a virgin, and we're going to talk about the purpose that he came for was not just what most people say about the Christmas story, because they get this fuzzy feeling and this warm feeling, but Jesus Christ, you have to tie salvation to sins. If you don't talk about sins, you can't talk about salvation, because the purpose from which Jesus came, the name that's above every name, the beautiful name, is one that saves us. I mean, when you think of Christmas, you think of a baby being born in a manger, but in, the, in that manger, his tiny little hands, he had the power of life and death in his hands when he was born. He was preexistent. He was God before there ever was because the Bible says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, before the beginning began to begin, God was. He was preexistent. And so John talks about it in the Word, uh, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we understand that Christmas is a story that ties salvation with Jesus Christ, that beautiful name, and not only did he have the power of life and death in his hands, but he owned the ground in which he laid when he was born. See, a lot of people want to keep him in a manger, but Jesus didn't stay in a manger. He grew up, he was a perfect, uh, sinless Savior, and he grew up, he was obedient to his parents. How about that? See, he bypassed the sin route that you and I come in through the family of Adam. So he was an innocent man. He was uh, an infinite man. He was God himself. And so we're going to talk about that in the Christmas story. So if you're wondering where Zach is, he's right there. That's where Zach is. Zach is going to be transitioning to Boston here very soon, and Crystal and the family. And uh, you probably didn't know this, but I'm the new teaching pastor in here, and this is my first Sunday. So here we go. Matthew chapter 1. All right, here we go. Now I asked Zach, I said, I know the Texans play at noon. I got that. We've been here about a year. Um, and and he, I said, will they, will they leave? He said, no, they'll just be watching the game on their phone at noon. So I'm encouraged with that. But Matthew chapter one, I want to share with you a little bit about a, the context and the story. And it, you can't talk about Jesus being born in Matthew till you go back to Malachi. Malachi, if you go back one page, most of you in your Bible, if you go back one page, if you'll look at this, one page, when you turn that one page at the end of the prophecy of Malachi, you've just turned 400 years when you go to the book of Matthew. And God was silent during that time. But that doesn't mean God's hand wasn't working because he had already prophesied through Isaiah that Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin, and that's going to be very important. So I want to give you a little history. At the end of the prophecy of Malachi to the time where we see the birth of the king in Matthew chapter 1, there was something being orchestrated. There was something being set up that God was at work to bring his plan into fruition. And so at the end of Malachi, Persia ruled the world. Just a little history here. This is all for free. I'll tell you when it's not. It, Persia ruled the world. So Persia was in charge. And then after Persia was dominating the world, then the Greeks came onto the scene. And a guy by the name of Alexander the Great uh, moved in. And so there was the, the Greek influence. And he, he was trying to Hellenize, uh, uh, Grecianize, if you will, the culture at that time. And 40% of the people in the Greek empire were Jews. So they had to translate the Old Testament 
in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets into the Septuagint. So this was going on in this 400-year period. And then after the Greeks were established, then Antiochus Epiphanes came in to power, and he hated the Jews. He hated the Jews. And, and he hated them so much that he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Can you imagine trying to reach the Jews and you sacrifice a pig? But this lets you know a little bit of the history, what was going on when we talk about the birth of Christ. And then you had a period where Antiochus Epiphanes was reigning. And then after that, there was the Judah Maccabees. And this was the uh, time where he came along and, and restored the temple and restored Jerusalem and re built, and they had what was called a menorah, a candelabra, if you will. They celebrated Hanukkah, and and, and this was a time of restoration, and this is all moving in between Malachi and the birth of Jesus Christ in Matthew. And then, next what you had is, is Rome becomes the big dog in town. Rome becomes the ruler, and so you're shifting here. Hannibal was a leader in, that came across with an army of elephants into Spain, and you had the time of Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, the African queen. And so then this was a time where Rome was, was ruling and dominating. And then, then in Rome, listen very carefully because we're going to make a transition here, there was a guy that was put in charge by the name of Herod. Herod was put in charge during that time, and he was the governor of Judah, Galilee, Israel, Jerusalem, that area. And, and he, he came across in such a way, he hated the Jews, and he heard a rumor. He heard a rumor that there was a king that was going to be born. There was another king because he wanted everybody to worship him. And so there was another king. There was a rumor that there was another king that was going to be born. And so what he would do is he kind of went after 45 of the richest Jews. This man was crazy. He was a paranoid schizophrenic. I promise you he was. Because anyone that rivaled his throne, anyone that was going to come into power, he would just kill them off. His brother-in-law, he would kill him off. It was a family rivalry. He would just kill him off. So he, he knew and he heard that there was an up-and-coming king that was going to be born. He wasn't sure exactly where, so he just decided to kill off a whole generation of people. Uh, the baby's two years or so. You know the story. But here was the problem with Herod's plan. It was too late. Do you get that? It was too late. Jesus Christ was born. You can't have two kings, you have one king. And you can't rival this king because this is King Jesus. So Herod tried to do all that he could to take out Jesus Christ and God's perfect plan, but it never works. We still have people today that are trying to take out Jesus Christ. They take him out of Christmas, they rival him, religion rivals him, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the king. He is the Lord of lords and he will reign forever. So this birth story, when you you see the end of Malachi to the opening pages in Matthew chapter 1. There was a guy by the name of Joseph, Joseph up there in Nazareth. So you see how God's plan comes together? Do you see how it unfolds here? So notice in the text, Matthew chapter 1. Now this is what will cost you. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Here's what the text says. Let's look at a story that we've looked at for many, many years. But I want you to see it in light of the context that it was too late because this king that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14, here's what the text says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ 
was as follows. Now, the 17 verses before that is his lineage, uh, that he had the rightful throne of the heir of David and Israel. And so we see all these natural births in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And then all of a sudden, you see the toggle switch, and you have a supernatural birth. You have a lady who is going to give birth. She's a virgin lady, and it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now you know what came before. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, you may want to circle that phrase, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, your translation may say pondered or considered. We'll talk about that. But while he thought about these things, behold, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the connections with sins. And she shall bring forth a son... Not a baby. Did you notice that? Not a baby. Let's don't get enamored with a baby. You, she shall bring forth a son, okay, this son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he, this son, shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and that's that prophecy in Isaiah. So if you look at this story, you see what is happening here. There's a picture. There's an unfolding of God. The plan of God is unfolding with the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, look at the text, was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Let's talk about betrothal a, a little bit. So betrothal would be something like we would say our engagement is today. But it was much more serious than our engagement is today. Because you have an engaged virgin. Let me say that again. You have an engaged virgin. That's what we're talking about here. So the betrothal period would be a time when both families, the, the father of the son, of the son and, and, and the family of the bride, uh, they would come together. They would have communication. They would be in the process, this is important, of signing a contract. Now, they would talk about the negotiations of the contract. They would talk about uh, what's in the contract. They would talk about their love for each other. But this would be a family-type thing. And so they were in this patrolal period. They were in the process of signing a contract. Now, certainly before they would sign a contract for the marriage, the, the guy, Joseph, Joe, he, he would have went to Mary and they would have talked about this. He wouldn't have just surprised her with the family. So that would have already been settled. And then they go into to the betrothal period. The betrothal period is just like our marriages today. It is a covenant. It is if they are married, they just don't have any sexual relations or live together. But it is a bond. It is sealed. It is legal. It is exactly what the text says. The betrothal period is a commitment one to another. And it's a testing period. And, and during this testing period, they would keep themselves pure before God. Now, here's what's important to understand. Mary... And Joseph were keeping themselves pure before God. I know that we don't want to talk about being holy much today, but I'm going to tell you what, the biggest challenge that we face is to keep ourselves holy and pure before God. 
And most people don't even want to take that challenge. But you see, God looked over the Jewish nation and He says, I can use Joseph and I can use Mary. They're living their lives on purpose. They have godliness that reflects my character and so I am going to use them. So holiness is all about who God is. We sang it in the song just a minute ago, didn't we? That's who God is. God is holy. And so God has loved us into a position of holiness, and the least we could do would be to live our lives in the position that he's loved us in. Is that not right? Because you see, we live in a society where everything goes, but listen, purity really counts with God. It's holiness. God is choosing by his own sovereign will and by his own providence to hook up Joseph and Mary. Now listen, what's important to understand is they were already reflecting a God-like character. They were already reflecting a God-like character. And that's how it is with God. When he begins to use us, when he begins to move in our life, he is seeing that our character is connected with our godliness and our godliness is connected with our character, which is a reflection of who he is. And so he begins to say, you know, I can use this person. They are submitted to me. They are surrendered to me. And so when you think about Joseph and Mary and the hookup, if you will, uh, they, they were betrothed, so they were married. It's a relationship. But they wouldn't consummate that marriage till a year later. In fact, Joseph would leave after that commitment time and after this time of being betrothed. The betrothal period would hold about a 12-month period where he would go back to his father's house and begin to build on a bedroom, uh, another room, and work on that. And during this 12-month period, they would talk about their lives. They would talk about all the plans that they would have for their lives. Much like you and I, we would talk about the plans that we have when we get married and the children that we would have and the next place that we would live and the next house that they would build. So you see the picture and you see the setting and it says that his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So now you understand that they had their lives all planned out. Do you know I'm talking to some people this morning? You, you have your lives all planned out. But don't get so enamored with your plans Here's what we have to understand about our plans. We have to plan in pencil. And what I mean by that is we have to plan in pencil. There's nothing wrong with planning our lives, but we have to give God authority over the eraser. Because sometimes God has bigger plans for our lives. Sometimes God wants to visit our plans. And sometimes God wants to interrupt our plans. And sometimes God wants to blow our plans up in the water because he sees a bigger picture. And he sees a bigger plan. We only see that which we are building the room onto the house or, or the plans that we have to live in this place. And God is so much bigger than that. And you're going to see how God's going to intervene in a very supernatural way in this story. So now you understand in verse 18, look at the text. Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. They were keeping their lives pure. They, were, they had character that was consistent with God. Let me see if I can explain it to you like this. Have you ever seen a father walking with his little junior, his son? And you know how junior has this confidence when his daddy because Junior's little hand is put into that big bad hand that's his daddy's hand. And Junior is walking with confidence because Junior is reflecting who his dad is because he's saying, I feel so secure in my dad that I'm gonna put my little hand in his big hand. And so they walk down the street and he's thinking, my daddy is bigger 
and badder than anybody else. But you know, not only does Junior have the confidence in his daddy, but his daddy has confidence in Junior because he knows that Junior's hand is in his big hand. And so they both walk with confidence. And when they walk with confidence, they begin to reflect each other. And they begin to understand the security that comes with each other. If you ever go to the mall and you see kids running around and daddy's not there, it's pretty chaotic, is it not? I mean, mom's yelling, I mean, how do you get children to to submit? How do you get control of your children? Okay, you pay them. That's what you do. That's what you do. You see how that works. You pay them. Or you scream at the top of your lungs. No, you scream, Johnny, stop pulling the, you know, that mannequin. Leave that mannequin alone. Come over here. I said, for 15 minutes, you'll see a mother screaming and hollering. But every once in a while, you'll see a father. She'll be looking for the father. Where's the father? And the father will say, Johnny, he'll sit down. Because he submits to the authority. He's been watching his father. He's been listening to his father. He's been holding his father's hands at times. And he knows that daddy doesn't have to yell. All daddy has to do is say, here's the command. And he follows that. And see, this is the motivation of a child. It's called faith. Faith is putting this hand in in the father's hand. And then the the son exercises faith by putting his hand in in the father's hand. So you have this mutual agreement and harmony with one another. And I want you to know that that's exactly what Joseph and Mary had been doing with God. They had harmony of God. They had harmony with God. They had agreement with God because they are walking in agreement with God because they are resting in the holiness and the character of God and the motivation they have, listen carefully, to keep their lives pure is the Father, the love they had for God. Their conduct was consistent with his character. Do you see that? Do you see that in our lives? Boy, our conduct, and I know I missed the mark and you missed the mark, but we should reflect the character of who God is. And our motivation should not be when someone screams at us. Our motivation should know that we are resting in the hands of the Father. He is our motivation, so we're constantly reflecting his character. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing before they came together. Look at the text. I'm not making it up. Then it says... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This is important. She was found. I don't know how, how long, far along she was, but, but it was visible. It was visible. She, you could tell that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, they had their lives all planned out, right? They had their lives all planned out. They had dreams. They probably talked about children's names. They talked about all these things. And then the Bible says that she was found to be with child. You see, when you think about being found, when God begins to do a work that's visible, like it was in Mary's life, it was visible that, that something was happening here. Do you know that you and I can't hide a work when God begins to do something in our lives and in our hearts? It's going to come out on the outside, right? It's going to come out when God begins to use us, when he begins to show his power through our life. It's going to be found that we're being used by him. And our prayer should be that, God, you would use me. I want to surrender to you. I want to live a life of holiness and purity. And she was found to be with child. Now watch this. Of the Holy Spirit. Joseph wasn't the father. I know there's a lot of debate. I know you can read a lot of articles on the internet. I know a lot of people don't believe in the virgin birth, but I'm going to tell you what. I believe in the virgin birth because God's word says that she was born of a virgin. The Bible says it in Luke. It says it later in our text. And she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. 
So when you understand that Mary, when she was found to be with child, do you understand that she got her humanity from her mother? Because when, when the seed and the egg come together, and I learned this at Dobie High School way back biologically, I understand. When the seed and the egg come together, I understand that life begins at conception. Now watch this. So the egg was brought to the table by Mary, but the seed was not brought to the table by Joseph. Do you understand that? The Holy Spirit of God gave a, 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 a miracle to the birth, to the womb, to the belly of Mary. And it was a child that's of the Holy Spirit. You see, they were thinking of all the children that they could possibly have, but God just blew their plans out of the water because he said, this child is going to change the world. Do you understand that God has bigger plans than we do? God, God wants to do amazing things through our life. When I think about Zach and Crystal and the ministry that they're going to, yes, they will be leaving here, but we're still on the same team. Do you understand that? We're still on the same team. We're preaching the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel here. Zach's been doing it here. If you want to know how great of a communicator Zach is, ask my wife. She's sitting back there. I taught an 11:15 I Connect class. She wasn't in my class. She said, sure wish you could come to the 11:15 service. Well, God has bigger plans. I don't know. I don't understand it. Listen, we've been through a lot in our family. I've had more fear in my life recently, and I'm going to talk to you about fear in just a moment, than I have ever had in my life. But I have to just sit back and trust God and say, God, you're bigger than this. I don't understand it, but I can stand when I don't understand because my faith and my trust is hooked into you. And when I hook my faith and trust in you, then hope pulls me into the future, and I'm going to have to trust you for the future that I can't see. So Zach's doing God's work. I'm going to do God's work here. Hey, and by the way, last week, the vision for the student building, look in your bulletin, $675,000 has already come in. You tell me there's not a God. Think about that. We don't know. We don't understand. But this child, notice the text. This child was found of the Holy Spirit. So, so you have the human part of, of Jesus came from his mother, but the, the God part of Jesus, the divine part of Jesus came from the divine spirit of the living God. And so that's why you have Jesus, watch this, who's fully God and he's fully man. He's not half God and half man. He's not God or man. He's the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. You see it right here in the text and that's the amazing thing. And a lot of people don't want to believe in the virgin birth. But if you don't believe in the virgin birth, how can you believe in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone? A, a sinner can't die for the sins of the world. We have to have an innocent, pure, holy baby, Jesus. And the Bible talks about that he's the holy one. And so there, there's a lot in this text. Look at it, what it says. She was found of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did a miracle in her womb. And you know what? If you look at it, God was preparing her for this moment, just like God prepares us. You know, have you looked back on your life and thought about how God was working in a situation where you didn't understand? But then when you got to this point where God did this miraculous work in your heart, you look back and you say, he was preparing me all along. Well, God was preparing Mary for this virgin birth. He was in charge of the womb. The womb was the space, listen carefully, the space and the place that only God could fill. 
Do you understand this? When it says she was found of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reigned and ruled and the Holy Spirit was the one that overshadowed um, the seed and we see that in the text. So the Holy Spirit enveloped her, inhabited her. Most people want to have a visitation with God, but they don't want to have a habitation with God. You see, when we trust Christ as our Savior, He didn't come to visit us. He came to take over. He came to habitate in our life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so in our lives, if you want to connect it to the story of Mary and the virgin birth, you and I can't fit anything in a God-sized space other than God. Money won't go there. Degrees won't go there. Jobs won't go there. Husbands and spouses and children won't go there. The only thing that fits in a God-sized space is God. There's a God-filled void in each of our lives that only Jesus Christ can fill. And you see this in this miraculous story, how God had the space and the place that was reserved and preserved for the virgin birth. Beautiful. Now watch this. Then Joseph... Her husband being a just man. The word for just means that he had, he had character. Uh, he had God-like character. He was representing and reflecting God. He, he walked with God. He had dignity. That's what it means. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her, look at the text, a public example was minded to put her away secretly because he knew it wasn't his baby. He said, hey, that's not my baby. I knew that during this period we had all things planned out. But somehow Mary's gotten off track. And then Mary comes back and says, but the child is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is like, you're going to blame God on this? Are you kidding me? You're going to blame God on this? Well, yes, and actually we know the story. Yes, so God had a plan. So Joseph is thinking about all the dreams that he had, all the plans that he had, both of them, their journey together, their perfect life, going to settle in, everything's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just throws a curveball and then the message comes to Joseph and the Bible says here that, that he was wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So, so he could have shamed her. That, that was part of what he could have done. He, he could have divorced her quietly. He, he could have just put her away quietly. And he was thinking of that because of the way that he had his character in line. But notice verse 20. But while he considered, while he thought about these things, while he considered, the word considered, the word pondered means to, to think about again and again and again. So while he began to go before the Lord again and again and again, and you know sometimes how we wrestle with God, right? We do. We wrestle with God. God puts something before us and we have to ponder it. We have to go before him again and again. We have to consider it. And one of the things that God's trying to get us to do is when we consider something is to get us to a point where we yield to his will. Because see, there's always gonna be tension between what we want and what God wants. That's the tension of his will. And so Joseph and Mary had wanted some things for their lives. And yet God shows up and he says, hey, I'm throwing a curveball. And then Joseph goes before the Lord and he gets before the Lord. And I love in this passage, God never gives him an answer. He, he gives him an answer later, but he lets him wrestle. And in his time alone, have you ever been spending time alone 
privately where God just did something in your heart where you know you wanted to do something and you wanted to move forward with something but yet God was burdening you to shift and have your focus on him and move over here and so you didn't get what you wanted you you actually surrendered to what he wanted and that's when we talk about God's will see God's will is when we yield not to what we want I know what I want I've wanted stuff so bad I went back to the exchange line and said, God, I thought I wanted it, but I don't really want it that bad. There's a lot of people that line up in the exchange line. Lord, I bought this. It just doesn't fit me like I thought it would fit me. So therefore, I'm going to return it. But you see, in that time where God is squeezing us, we're yielding to his will. So it's not about what Joseph wants. He now yields and surrenders to what God wants. It's no different in our lives. This morning, there may be tension between what you want and what God wants. And he's going to let you consider, ponder, think, pray again and again until you get into a position where you yield to him. That's the best place to be, is it not? A place where we yield to the providence and the will of God. And here's what happens, because this is where I've been living. Notice what the text says. I know it's 10 minutes into the game. I'm not worried about it. Just to let you in on a secret... I'm still a loyal Oiler fan. So my team, the Titans, Lord have mercy, I never know what's going to happen. I mean, we can beat the Patriots on one weekend, get beat by 50 by somebody else, and then Derrick Henry goes for 248 yards the next week. I just don't understand it. But I can still stand because here we go. Here's verse 20. <laughs> Sorry. But while he thought about these things, so he's privately wrestling with these things. He's, he's coming into that fruition of yielding to God's will. Behold, behold is a word that means surprise, instantaneously, immediately, an angel. Look at the text. The son of David, an angel appeared, uh, the, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry your wife for that which is conceived of her. Look at the text is of the Holy Spirit. Do not fear. Do not fear to the angels. Do not fear to the shepherds. Do not fear to Mary. Do you have some places in your life of do not fear? Are there some things you fear every once in a while? Do you know that fear and faith both demand that we believe in something that we can't see? Fear and faith both demand that we believe in something that we can't see. So what happened with Joseph when the angel came and said, fear not, Joseph had to drop his blanket of fear at the point of revelation. He had to drop his blanket of fear at the point of revelation because God was doing something new and God was trying to get Joseph to that point of not fearing his way through, but faithing his way through. Now listen to me very carefully. Anytime that you and I say, that we are going to do God's will, we give God permission to undo our will. When we say, as Joseph is going to say, I yield to this, I surrender to this, any time that we do God's will, we will absolutely say, would you please undo the plans that I had in my life? We don't start praying about plan B. We don't even talk about plan B anymore. All that matters to us is yielding to what God does and how he wants to do it in our life. I don't understand. I, I don't understand going to Boston where it's 20 degrees below. 
I, we're, we got people out today just because it's 40. But we have to understand that we can't live in our fears. So here's the message of Christmas. Joseph had to accept God's plan for his life. He had to accept it. Not only did he have to accept it, he had to make an adjustment. He had to let his dreams die. His dreams. Are some of you holding on to a dream that's dead when God says, I've got something that's alive for you? You know, our tendency is to hold on to our plans and to hold on to our dreams. Are you holding on to something that God says is a dead dream? Because if you're holding on to a dead dream, you won't be able to embrace the dream that God has for you because you're going to still be living in this dream that God's already let go of. Have you let go of the same dream that God's already let go of? Think about that. In our lives, we oftentimes hold on to things that God's already let go of. He's got bigger blessings and he's got bigger fish to fry and we don't understand it, but we keep holding on to the dreams and the plans that we've come up with when God says, hey, my plans are bigger than this. Joseph, my plans are for you to have one child that would change the world, not a lot of little children running around. You need to embrace my plan so that we can see how the world is gonna be changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there has to be, in Joseph's life, there was fear. And fear and faith can't reign in the same heart. And so Joseph, by faith, had to believe the promises of God. And not only did he have to believe the promises of God, he had to embrace the promises of God. And he had to latch on to the promises of God. Now watch this. When you hook into the promises of God, they move you forward with hope. Joseph had hope. Mary had hope because they were embracing the plan of God that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, the challenge will never be to find the unknown will of God. I hear people all the time, well, I'm trying to find the unknown will of God. No, the challenge is always, will you do the known will of God? This is the known will of God. This is what Jesus is all about. Joseph and Mary, when Joseph was told by the angel, don't be afraid, Joseph. You live by faith and you hook into me and you believe me and you trust me and I'll move you toward hope in the future. You just embrace me. You embrace my plans for your life. I'm talking to someone this morning and your whole world is upside down. I mean, your plans have been wiped out. The things that you thought of that were gonna happen are not gonna happen. And the question is, are we going to embrace the sovereignty and the providence of God in our lives? Or are we going to go around questioning all that God does as if he demands to give us an answer? His ways are higher than our ways. And so we learn to embrace the plan of God. I want you this morning to understand from the Holy Spirit that he has a plan for your life and you just embrace that plan. It may not be the plan that you have. It may be something way bigger than that. But God can't get a blessing to you if your fist is closed. You gotta receive it. You gotta receive it by faith. And then when you receive that vision, that plan by faith, you can release it to the world. God has gifted you. God's gifted Zach. God's gifted me. God's gifted you. And we're better together, are we not? We are. We all have a gift that's been given to us by the gracious hand of God. And so here we see 
the angel saying, don't be afraid. Embrace the plan. Which she is, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is no ordinary baby. This, this, this baby has been reserved and preserved and God's preserved Mary and, and she's been walking in a, in a holy manner and God says, I'm gonna do a miracle in your womb and this miracle is gonna spread to the world because you can't talk about Christmas unless you talk about sins. Let's look at the text. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, salvation, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We have a sin problem. That's tied to Christmas. You say, I came to get a, a nice little warm, fuzzy, Christmassy message today. Well, you're not going to get it because it's tied to sins. And until you deal with your sin, you can't understand salvation. Now, if you want to learn how to chant better, I can send you to plenty of places where you can learn how to chant. I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They were the land of the fruits, flakes, and nuts. You go to the courthouse, and everybody's chanting to whatever God they have up there. Everybody chanting. I saw that. Now, if you want to have more, better positive thinking, there's places I can send you. But if you want to have your sins forgiven, there's only one name whereby you can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And He saves people from their sins. That's what the text says. So let's talk about what our sins are. So the text says Jesus was born to die. So we understand that He shall save His people from their sins. So sin is missing the mark. That's what sin is. It's like shooting at a target. I remember about 20 years ago, I was on a, a retreat with Brother John and the staff. This is when I was young and was a student minister and had plenty of hair. And we started shoot, shooting skeet at Brother John's ranch. And he was letting those skeet boom, when they go up. We've, I've, never, I've never held a gun, never shot a gun. All 20 or 25 of us on staff, we all had a shotgun. And we got in line and we just moved down the line. And we would shoot. And what I found out is I could never hit the target. I couldn't. I mean, I would be shooting over here and staff members would be ducking over here. But when you think about it, that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And the Bible says that Jesus came to save people from missing the mark. Because he hit the mark. He was the innocent, spotless son of God, pure and holy, who went to the cross as a holy man who shouldered our sin. Those of us that missed the mark, he embraced the mark, and he was the only holy one. So you understand that we all missed the mark. So he says he's to save people from their sins. So I learned something about shooting with a gun, that I missed the mark a lot. So if you take about sin, it's like shooting a gun in the air. Transgression is like shooting a gun and just shooting it out there in the air and you just miss um, rebellion is when you know where God's line of holiness is. You know where God's line of holiness is and you come right up to that line of holiness and you say, how close can I get without sinning? And you just get right up to that line. But let me tell you something. There's a line that God set. There's a line of demarcation. It's God's holiness. God is holy. So the line that he sets, we have to be perfect. In order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect like he is perfect. And none of us, can do that. So there's only one person who hit the mark perfectly, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was 
the innocent, spotless Lamb of God. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that we deserved, and He rose from the grave, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, with all power in His hands, so that He could save those of us who missed the mark and everybody else that's ducking that missed the mark. Because here's what I found in my life. No matter how good of a shot you are, you still have a crooked sight on your gun. That's what it happens with those of us that are sinners. We have a crooked sight. So, so shooting a rifle in the air is missing the mark. We're going to miss the mark. We're sinners. Uh, transgression is we're going to go up to the line, but, but we always like to cross the line, right? Can I tell you something about God's line? It never moves. The world moves the line. The world moves the line and says, okay, culture says here's where the line is now, and everybody thinks they're okay. But let me tell you something. God's line doesn't move. He is perfectly holy at all times. And only his son hit the mark. And his son is perfectly holy. So if we're ever going to make it to heaven, we have to trust by faith in the forgiveness of sins of the Lord Jesus Christ who was perfect. And one day when God calls us home, the Lord Jesus will say, and he trusted me. He by faith knew the story of Christmas. And by faith... There's wonder in his heart because he's received the forgiveness of sins. Notice what the text says, and I'm coming toward the end. For he will save his people from their sins. In every one of us, there's a pilot light. I learned this the hard way. In my grandmother's house, I was trying to get, it was always going out. And I'd always think, should I really like that pilot light? Because I don't know much about this whole gas thing. And I mean, I just went to cemetery, I mean, seminary, and, and I don't understand. I'm going to call a guy to come light the pilot light. I know I, on the internet it says you can light it. But here's what I want to say. All of us are born with a pilot light. It's a pilot light of sin. Listen to me carefully. And then whatever sin comes along, that pilot light is just lit. But when we are involved in sin, save his people from his sins, when the sin of lust blows over that pilot light, we see the damage it can do. When the sin of greed hits that pilot light that looks so innocent, we're born with a sin nature and we're born sinners. We're not born perfect. We're born in sin. And, and anything that hits that pilot light is just manifested in a greater way. And that's the way that sins are. See, we have sin inside of us. And when you don't just embrace, you say, well, I'll just stay away from this sin can I tell you what happens? You just transfer all your energy to another sin. It's called sins, plural. And so we, we move to whatever sin, and whatever sins will satisfy our flesh. And so there's a little pilot light that's lit in each of us, and then that gas blows over, and man, that sin becomes huge. And we start thinking, I gotta stop this. I gotta quit doing this. I gotta not do this anymore. I can't hang around those people anymore. I can't drive by this place anymore. And we try, and we try, and we try. Listen carefully. To take care of our sins ourselves, when all we have to do is bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, who says we can't do it, and he can do it, you bow before him, you surrender to him, and you say, Lord Jesus, I am tired of trying, and I am going to start trusting in you for the power to do what I can't do. That's the story of Christmas. Now, here at this church, we give you opportunities to trust Christ as your Savior. At every service, we tell people, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, if you know you need the forgiveness of sin, 
then receive the free gift of salvation, which you can do right where you're seated today. You can say, you know, this Christmas, I'm not coming into it like the rest. I really want to have power in my life. I really want to have this guilt and this shame taken off my shoulder. I really want to receive the gift of salvation. Can I tell you something? You have to receive it. It's, it's not something you work for. It's not something you earn. It's a gift that Jesus has already paid for. The Bible says in prophecy that he came to save his people from their sins. Is that not the news of Christmas? We have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. And there's only one person that can take care of that. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't offer religion to you. We offer a relationship to you in Jesus Christ. If you will trust him, if you will embrace him, I read an article by uh, the announcer Phil Rosato of the uh, New York Yankees. When Joe Torrey was getting older in his age of managing, they said, Joe, we think you ought to come up into the booth and call the game from up here in the stands instead of being on the field. You know what Joe Torrey said? Thank you for your suggestion, but no thank you. I like to look my players in the eyes. Do you know what Christmas is? God said, I like to look people in the eyes. God came down. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God came down to us. The birth of Jesus that we're talking about. God came down. God had a plan so he could look us in the eyes and tell us how much he loves us. Can I tell you something this morning? God loves you so much. He loves you. He loves you. I mean, I have had, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I have had some of the most fearful days in my life recently. I literally have called it fear. I'm acknowledging to God, I, I have felt fearful. I have felt frightened with what we have faced as a family. And there's days where I just can't take a step in front of the other. And God says, Freeman, you trust me. I love you, Freeman. I have a plan that's bigger than what you can see. And I'm saying, God, I see this. I see this and I don't understand it. And God says, you trust me. You embrace me. You, you embrace my plan for your life. I will walk with you. I will pick your foot up and I will put it down again. God, I don't even want to get out of bed. He said, I'll help you get out of bed. Do you know that there are times when we go into a season of loneliness, which Christmas is for a lot of people? And we have a pity party and nobody's there but ourselves. And God says, I've got something bigger for you. I've got a plan in my life to show you how great I am. I want to give us an opportunity just to pray as Zach always has at the close of the service. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. The band's going to come. We're just going to, they're just going to play and we're just going to open up these altars for you this morning. Maybe there's a fear that you need to drop today. Maybe God's saying to you, don't fear. You're saying, I feel fearful. I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. God says, why don't you drop that fear at the point of revelation? Because I have something big for your life. Maybe you've been holding on to some plan or dream that just hasn't come into fruition. And now today you're realizing that's my plan. That may not be God's plan. And you may want to just yield and surrender your plan to God's plan, which may be way bigger and way more surprising and way better than what you thought your plan could ever be. But it comes when you surrender to him.
And if you need to trust Christ as your Savior, you just receive Him as your Savior. You trust Him. You say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If you've never done this, He will take away your fear. He will take away all the things that you struggle with and you've been trying to capture on your own. He'll come in, and when He comes in, He sticks out all over. The Holy Spirit can come to live in you. And it'll be a miracle. Salvation's a miracle, right? That God would save me that he would change my life. And if you, after this service, as we dismiss in a few minutes, when you go out these exits right here, we have a connection area. There are glass doors. You just turn inward. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have questions about that, if you need prayer, then you just go to that connection room. There are people that are there that love you. Let's just have a time as the band plays and comes. And Would you just stand where you are? If you just need to come and pray, you pray. You can pray where you are, that's fine. But maybe there's something at the point of revelation that you need to drop. Just like I've needed to drop things. Would you just respond to the Holy Spirit in your life? Father, thank you for thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you that Jesus was born to die to save people not only from them sin, their sins but themselves. God, I pray for people in this room that are just like me that understand that Christianity is not an arrival, it's a pursuit. We're just on a journey with you. God, I pray that you administer grace. I pray you administer peace. I pray that we would remember and realize in our lives that only God fits that God-sized void in our hearts and our lives. We can't fill it full of other stuff, but only you. So you take this message and I pray you'd work it in our hearts as we go home today. You'd work it in our lives. You'd work it in our families. That we will give you praise because your name's a beautiful name. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Zach's life. I thank you what you're going to do in the lives of those of us in this room. And we just surrender to you afresh and anew as your servants. We just trust that you'll work through us in a way that only brings glory to you. And we don't want any credit because we don't deserve any credit. We deserve hell. But you have chosen to send Jesus so we don't have to die in our sins and go to hell, but we can die and go immediately into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven that was prepared for us ahead of time if we'll by faith trust you. So I pray for my friends in this room that could trust you today that they would yield their hearts to you. 
and that you would come in and you would take over their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.